the 24th chapter. We're going to continue our trek uh, through the Old Testament this morning in some different passages. Joshua chapter 24. I've taken a number of courses and seminars and counseling over the years. I'm not a clinical counselor or anything like that, but as a pastor, you often are helping people to work through some of the things that are going on in their lives, so it's good to have some training and counseling. It's been made clear to me through all these courses that both functionality and dysfunction often starts in somebody's home life. Uh, when speaking to those suffering from some type of dysfunctional behavior, a lot of times we find that the problems that they face started in their home. Now, this is not always the case. I've known people who have had truly messed up homes, and they thrive anyways. And I've known some people who have some pretty functional homes that choose to act like idiots. Really? I have. But for the most part, a home that is right, a home that has the right priorities, will produce a person who thrives. And this is the case whether or not the home is a single person a young married couple, a family of 13, or empty nesters. If things are right, when no one from the outside can see in, things will be right when we are seen and known from the outside. Now last week we talked and we asked a question that faced us. What is it that will make our church thrive? Now, it's easy to just assume that the best way to make a, a place thrive is to change the system, change the programs, change the levels of accountability, just tweak everything in order to make something thrive. And that would probably be the right way to do things if Victory Life Church were a business. But I do believe that Scripture has a more efficient model. I believe that the strength of our church and truly, the evangelical churches across this world depends upon the Christian commitment level of its households. That's where it begins. Now, you say, well, doesn't it depend upon the work of the Holy Spirit? Yes, in our households. Doesn't, doesn't it depend upon, you know, scriptural uh, knowledge? Yes, in our households. So you could just fill in the spiritual discipline that you want to, the, the dependence upon the Lord that you want to, but it still doesn't change the fact that our, the, the thriving that we're seeking begins in the commitment level of our households. As I mentioned, whether it's a single person, a young married couple, a couple with children, empty nesters, whatever it may be. Are we, the question for us today is, are we fully Christian when the outside world can't see in? Are we fully Christian when the outside world can't see in? Because that's really the true measure of whether our household is serving the Lord. There's a familiar passage in chapter 24 of Joshua, and I believe it reminds the people of God where growth begins. It's not necessarily in the programs or the systems. Certainly there'll be some systems and programmatic changes with a new pastor in a church, but the true thriving of the church depends upon households with a full commitment to the Lord. It's the people of God giving every part of their life to God. The words of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 and following. Now therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, 
If you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors who served in the region, they served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now these were the words of Joshua, the leader of Israel. Joshua spoke these words as part of his farewell address to the nation. All right? This had been a group of people who had truly served the Lord. They'd been a generation of hard workers, hard fighters, and they'd claimed the inheritance God had, had given to them. These were the same people who in Deuteronomy renewed the covenant with Moses. And then they stepped across the Jordan River with Joshua and began to take possession of Canaan, which had been promised to Abraham hundreds of years ago. So as they're set to disperse to their homes and their territories, Joshua reminds them of a choice that we all make. You can go home, you can get lazy, you can serve the gods that everybody else serves, or you can take the determined stance to serve the Lord, your creator, and truly your benefactor. That's what he's putting before them. This could be somewhat construed as sort of a harsh message for these people, because they'd actually serve the Lord. This is a generation of Israel who had done a pretty good job of serving Yahweh faithfully. I imagine there could be a few people in the crowd that day who looked at Joshua going, do you know who you're talking to? We just fought for years to, to, to take this land. We followed your leadership. We've been very united as a nation. We've done a good job of serving the Lord and doing what he told us to do. Why would you even be saying this to us? But Joshua realized something. Joshua realized that it's very easy when you're dispersed from the group to begin to serve other gods. And he's reminding them, we're not going to be standing the way that we've always stood. We're not going to be together all the time. I will see you at the three festivals during the year that we're all supposed to gather for, but that'll be it. You'll be on your own the rest of the time. It's important that your household looks like a godly household. But I want to tell you today that Joshua didn't speak these words in a vacuum. He wasn't trying to tell them, serve the Lord because you should serve the Lord. And do it, because I said so. That wasn't the tenor of this chapter at all. If you were to back up a little bit, in chapter 24 of Joshua, Joshua lays out all the good things, all the right things that God had done for them. God had been their benefactor all the way along. I made this exhaustive list in my office this week. I should have brought it in, but then I probably would have exhausted you with it. But this exhausted list had all the times in verses 1 through 12 where God said, I gave, I sent, I took, I destroyed, I plagued, I sent, I gave, I took. And all over the place, God is telling them in verses 1 through 12, it is I who has done all of this for you. Every good gift that you have, it's because of me. Everything that you've done, everything that you've accomplished, going from this group of slaves in Egypt all the way into the present day to where you have your own nation and you're this unified entity serving Yahweh God, everything that you've done has been because of me. Over and over again, I went, I gave, I took, I led, I gave. Over and over again, he says this in verses 1 through 12. Only three times did the Israelites do anything of note. Three things. They cried out to the Lord, they took possession of what the Lord was giving, and they went where the Lord told them to go. Now that's a sermon in itself. Sadly, it's not where I'm going today. But the three things that the Israelites were credited with was crying out to the Lord, and two, 
taking possession of what he was giving, and three, going where he told them to go. But the rest was on God. Why do I make this point today? I make this point because their decision to serve the Lord was not in a vacuum. They weren't just serving the Lord to serve the Lord. They were serving the Lord because it was advantageous to do so. Serving the Lord is advantageous. It's helpful to your life. It's not detrimental to your life. It's helpful to your life. And, and Joshua was trying to tell the people that day, look at all that God has done. Why would you want to go serve anybody else? Serve Yahweh God. Look at all that he's done. Look at all that he's given. Now, I, this is a side note, and it brings us to the present day. But I want to tell you, there are some miserable, boring, holier-than-thou people who ascribe to a theology that says, we should serve the Lord unaware of the benefits. We should serve the Lord if he never gave us anything else. Well, yes, we should serve the Lord because he's purchased for us salvation. If he never gave us anything else, he's given us enough, but that's not scripture. We serve a God that is a giver, that does a ton for us, that looks after us, that gives us blessings and benefits. This theology that we serve God best when we're miserable is ridiculous. We do not serve God best when we're miserable. We serve God best when we're giving thanks for the good things that he's placed in our lives. Now, you might be sitting here today going, I can't think of anything good God's done for me. My life stinks pretty bad. Well, just think of it this way. This morning, you woke up in a bed. And then you got out of bed and you took a hot shower. A hot shower, hopefully. And then after that hot shower, you chose what to wear for church. You chose what to wear, chose what to wear for church today. Then you went downstairs, if you have a split level, or you, or, you, or you went to your kitchen, and you chose again what to eat for breakfast. I'm going to say that again. You chose what to eat for breakfast. And then you put on your coat, and you got in your car, and you came to your warm, somewhat warm, church where wonderful musicians were waiting to lead you into the presence of the Lord. And a dashingly handsome pastor was prepared to preach for you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> I got an amen from a Lutheran. There we go. Was that you, Kim? No, or is that somebody in front of you? Oh, no. You don't think I'm dashingly handsome. It was you, wasn't it? Yeah, anyways. Think about all the good things in our lives. We can be so ungrateful. God has made all of this possible. There's good things in life. There's benefits in life. We had enough to praise God for before we ever got in our cars to come to church this morning. He's a good God. He's a giver. We're allowed to enjoy the pleasurable things of life. He is a good God. He's a giver. This concept that, that we should serve the Lord and not be aware of any of his, of his benefits, it's just unbiblical. And Joshua lays out for them all the benefits to serving the Lord. Look at verse 13. I gave you a land which you, on which you had not labored and towns that you had not built, and you live in them. And you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive yards that you did not plant. He just wants to remind them, just in case they get a little ungrateful and don't see him as the giver, he gave them all of this. This was the concept, the context 
4, him saying, God, God, impress upon these people the need to serve you with faithfulness. He's trying to look at them and say, you know, these, these idols, you know, the ones from the Canaanites, that's another word for the Amorites, or the ones that maybe you served back in Egypt when you were in slavery, or the ones beyond the river, you know, the Babylonians and the, and the, and the Assyrian gods before you became the people of God. You, you can choose to serve those gods, but that would be really stupid. Those idols, they don't satisfy. Instead, you should serve the one whom it will eventually be written in Scripture that it says every good and perfect gift flows from. So when we think about giving our households to God and serving him with all we have, it's not just because it makes sense to do so theologically. Does it make sense to serve Yahweh God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, does the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, does it make sense to serve them from a theological standpoint? Yes. It makes perfect sense theologically. But that's not what Joshua's arguing that day. He's arguing it makes perfect sense practically. For your life, it makes sense to serve God with all you have. Think about the words of Scripture, John 10.10, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Or as the NRSV likes to translate it, life to the fullest. Think about Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on it he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the streams of living water. He shall yield fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither. Everything he does prospers. That's the word of the Lord. So to serve the Lord has its benefits. Deuteronomy chapter 28, 1 through 14 is a listing the benefits of serving the Lord for Israel. And of course, David himself, we mentioned in the prayer time this morning, said in Psalm chapter 103, verse 1, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So it's not, it's not just a pastor who wants to look at you today and go, It's fun to serve the Lord. It's great. He's good. The Bible says so. He's the giver. He's the one that we need to be serving because there's a benefit to serving him. Boy, that's, that's the story of God, that we need him, that there's a benefit to serving him. He, he wants us to serve him because we desire to serve him. But there's a lot of benefits to serving the Lord. So why is it that Joshua is saying in chapter 24, revere God, serve him with sincerity and faithfulness, and then he goes on to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He does this for a number of reasons. One, he knows that the other idols won't satisfy Why would you trust these idolatrous things to give you the good life when Yahweh God has already given you the good life? Come on, people, that's what he's saying. Don't trust, don't, don't, don't give your allegiance over to these other gods. Because the promise is the good life. And you say, I I don't quite get that, Pastor Matt. Well, truthfully, in the ancient Near East, in the ancient world, you prayed to the gods, you offered them sacrifices, you gave them your allegiance in order that they might give you the material blessings of the world. That was the concept behind idolatry. So to trade Yahweh God for one of these idols was was simply to say, hey, I'm going to go over here and trust these idols for the good life rather than trust Yahweh. So he's saying, look at all the things that God has done. And then he ends with that flourish in verse 13 that we just read. And he says, don't serve those other gods. They've got no power. They've got no ability to give you the good life. Number two, that the Lord is a giver. He's saying this to the people because the Lord is a giver. He'll bless you if you serve him. There are blessings. Now, I know what you're thinking. Are the blessings always financial? No. 
The blessings are not always financial security when you serve the Lord. Every 15-year-old boy in the room today is thinking, well, God bless me with a hot wife. You know? That's all I want. Well, shave, get a haircut, lather on the deodorant, and see what happens. But not necessarily, right? Right? The Bible never says God gives us every single desire of our heart. But what he does, what the Bible does say is, is that he is the desire of our hearts. That in relationship with him, the, the true nature of what we were designed for comes out and joy and peace and hope and love flow from that relationship. And then the third thing, and the thing that we're going to focus on for our last few minutes together today in this message is Joshua is saying this to the people because he recognizes that the strength of God's people as a whole is based on households that serve the Lord. This is an address to the nation as they disperse. Joshua recognizes that the strength of the nation is based in households saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord with reverence, sincerity, and faithfulness, according to verse 14. If you want to see our group thrive, Joshua is saying, you must take personal responsibility for your household and their service to the Lord. Verse 14 gives us three really good subpoints to think about today. Three questions to ask ourselves as, as it stands when we ask the question is, does my household really serve the Lord? Look at verse 14. We're going to read it one more time before we get into these subpoints. Now, therefore, revere the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Three great concepts, three great describing words that help us understand whether or not our households truly serve the Lord. And the first one is, therefore, revere the Lord. Now, a lot of you are reading the New King James or the NIV, which means you have the word fear there. Fear of the Lord. Now, I grew up with that concept, fear the Lord. I heard messages preached on it. And, most of, and to be honest with you, in the Hebrew, that's probably the most straight, literal translation for fear, okay? If you, if that's the word, fear. But I really do believe, and this is my opinion, and you'll, you'll, you'll read Bible commentators, and you'll hear people on TV that feel it, a different, feel it a different way, but this is just my feeling. I feel like the NRSV really gets this one right, because fearing God in 21st century America, it doesn't quite compute, you know, fear God, okay, Ooh, you know, fear him, be worried about something. Fear connotes worry. And what the NRSV has done is it has changed the translation here to revere, to try to get a little bit closer to the connotation of fear in the Hebrew, which wasn't to have dread necessarily of the Lord, but to have a deep respect and reverence for the Lord, an immense reverence, an intense reverence for the Lord, that the Lord would be taken very, very seriously in our thoughts, in our homes, in the way we conduct ourselves. Now, we make reverend about some other things in our culture. I've met some really reverent people, and usually the truly reverent people are either really stodgy or really weird, you know? I walked into church, and then I bowed before the cross, and then I prostrated myself before the altar for 45 minutes. And then I poured anointing oil on my head. And, and the next thing you know, you're going, what is that reverence? Well, it's certainly ways in which you can display worship to the Lord. And I'm all for bowing. I'm all for praying and, and, and prostrating yourself on the floor as long as there's no one to trip over you. 
I'm all for the idea of anointing the head with oil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sometimes our acts of reverence just are weird. And, And they're a display of somebody look at me, I'm reverencing the Lord. And I don't believe that's the reverencing that this is talking about here. And I'm not calling you weird if you bow. I, I, I kneel before the Lord. I bow before the Lord. I, I lay prostrate and pray sometimes. And, and I've been in services where they anointed my head liberally with oil. And then I'm just... But what I'm trying to say is reverence is not necessarily what you do when you walk in the doors that everybody else can see. Reverence is to take seriously God, who he is, his statutes, his ordinances in every aspect of our lives. That's to revere and reverence the Lord. Many of us can't be considered reverent because the only time God makes it into our attention is in church. And that's not reverent. Or God has to somehow blast his way into our consciousness a couple of times a week because we wouldn't otherwise give him any time. That's irreverence. Not taking the Lord seriously. I want to tell you this morning, if you desire blessing to be upon your household, you must invite God to be an active participant there. That is reverence. Taking him seriously. Taking his word seriously. A sure way to disrespect God is to ignore him completely. That's being irreverent. You say, okay, so take him seriously. Give me some practic- practic- practical things here that I can work on to take the Lord reverently in my home. Well, first, I believe that one of the greatest things that we can do in our homes, whether it's, it's just one of us or two of us or five of us or whatever, is to have God speech in our homes where we actually talk about God, actually talk about what his word says, actually say, you know what? We have to make this decision here, kids. And what mom and I are going to do, and we want you guys to do this with us, we want you to pray with us, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us peace about the right decision to make here. God talk. Simple. Or when your kids act up, or, or, or maybe even your husband acts up, right? You go, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's what God has for us. Remember when it says in his word, and then it's there. Or when we're in our times that we are open to the Lord and we are hearing from the Lord, we would share with somebody, you know what, when I was reading a scripture today, I was really convicted about this certain thing. I I think God wants me to be different. I just wanted to share that with you. To reverence God is to actually act like God's there. And that he's an active participant in your household. And you say, I don't know that. I don't think that's me. People will think I'm weird. If I were to go down that track, if I were to begin talking like that, and you know what? If you haven't talked like that in a long time, maybe the other members of your household will think you're weird. But if you start to do it consistently, and they see that your life is actually affected by the Lord that you serve, it won't be weird any longer. It won't be weird any longer. I was visiting with some people here last night, and I was in their house, and the conversation was God talk. And it was incredibly refreshing. Their kids just talked about the Bible and God as if they did that all the time. Now, they could have just said, the pastor's coming over, let's be on our best behavior, talk about Jesus, right? They could have been, but I doubt it completely because uh, the kids in the household were engaging in the conversation about God. Now, they just don't do that because somebody's coming over. They do that because it's a natural thing. It's a natural thing. 
And maybe, especially for some of you dads in the room, that you said, I, I have never done that. I would be terrified to do that. Maybe even your kids know about some of the warts that you have spiritually. I want to tell you, you have to start somewhere. And you know what? It's really important that you begin to talk about God as if he's real. Not just take your, not just take your children to church so somebody else will tell them he's real. That's reverence. That's sincerity. It makes men especially uncomfortable, so that's why I'm speaking a little bit to the men today. Men, don't be uncomfortable with that. It, it's your heritage. It's who you're supposed to be. Talk about God. Talk about his, his word. Talk about the things that the Lord is showing you and begin to let that transform your household. Too often we come to church and the only thing that we do as spiritual sincerity is to leave and go, I gotta do better. I heard a message today. It spoke to me. Gotta do better. That's not gonna cut it. Because gotta do better is code for I'll forget about this tomorrow. God has to be a part of our lives each and every day. And in that way we reverence him. So the first question that you must ask yourself today is, is my household a household that reverences the Lord? Number two, reverencing God naturally leads to sincerity. Serve the Lord with sincerity. Second question you ask yourself today, does my household serve the Lord with sincerity? To me, serving the Lord with sincerity is to ask the question, what flies here? What flies in my home? Once again, whether I'm single or married, or have lots of kids, or the kids have moved out, wherever I'm at, what flies in my household? Or do I just let most things go without ever evaluating those things? It's like if I talk to a friend, for instance, and, and haven't seen this buddy in a long time, we're talking, dude, I miss you. And then he asks me, all right, well, you want to get together this week? No, no, don't have time. There has to be a sincerity behind the things that we evaluate. We can say, we want God to be part of this household. We want him to be first. But then if you don't evaluate what makes it in and goes out from your household, it doesn't matter. So the reverence is to begin to take God seriously and to begin to have that God talk and begin to let God be an active participant in your home. But the second part is then to allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate what flies, what goes in your home. I remember when I was about 18 or 19 years old, I had a lot of money because I'd worked all through high school. And I spent most of that money on golf. It was a bad decision. I'm a poor golfer. But I spent a lot of that money on golf, and I'd go out with my buddies, and both at college, and then when I'd come home and, and be home for the summer, we'd go out golfing and, and play these beautiful courses that I really shouldn't have been playing in the first place. But one of the things that I did, and that's something that I'm not proud of, but something that I did was I thought I was cool. I was 18 or 19 and thought I was just this awesome guy. And so guess what? I'd go to the a gas station and get myself a real quality cigar at the gas station, right? Because I was an awesome person, right? So I'd get that $1.99 cigar, and my buddies would too. And anyhow, we'd take them on the course and think that we were cool, <laughs> which I'm sure other people looked at us and what a bunch of idiots. But anyhow, so I, we, ha we would have these cigars, and I ended up coming home from college one time, and I had bought a pack of them, and of course I left them in the humidor known as my glove box. And so I left them in there and forgot all about them. They'd been in there for weeks, and, and at one point during the summer, my dad needed to find the registration to my car. 
And so my dad heads out to the car, and I'm not thinking anything of it. I'm just sitting there eating my breakfast. And he goes out, and he grabs the registration, and he just sits down at the breakfast table, and he says, hey, found your registration. I said, great. He said, also found your cigars. And my dad was a pretty straight arrow. And uh, I said, oh. And uh, I was really expecting to get it, you know, just to have the, the long conversation and, and uh, all the disappointment and everything else. And, and my dad was a really wise man. He understood the transition that I had made in my life. I'd lived away from home for a year. And he just looked at me and he said, Matt, truth is there's nothing in the Bible that I can look at and really explicitly tell you that you shouldn't be smoking cigars. But he said, you're a Christian. More importantly, you're going to be a pastor one day. He said, and it doesn't jive. And he got up and walked away. The first thing I thought is, what does jive mean? No, I'm kidding. I knew, I knew what that meant. I did not have to go to the dictionary of the 70s to figure that out. But it doesn't jive. Uh, to, use it, to use a really big $100 word, it, it was incongruous. I looked it up, so don't tell me I made that up. It, was inco- it, it wasn't congruent in his mind for his son to be smoking cigars who was studying to be a pastor. And he didn't throw the cigars away. He just left them there. And just out of respect for my dad, even though I thought, oh, it doesn't jive. <laughs> I did, that's what I thought, it doesn't jive. But I thought, this is his house, I don't want to upset him. So I went and I grabbed the cigars and I threw away all $1.75 that was left of him, right? <laughs> I didn't smoke cigars after that. And it's not necessarily because I saw something in scripture that told me that, you know, I wasn't allowed to do that. We all like to say, well, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit right before we go to Wing Madness or Wing Warehouse, you know. Don't smoke cigars, but go fill your body with trans fatty acids. But anyhow, the, the idea was that there's, he was just being real. There's nothing in Scripture. But you know what? It's not a good look. It's not a good look. Now, we all know things as Christians that just shouldn't be in our houses because we're Christians. Pornography and violence and harsh and abrasive language, it shouldn't be there. Critical words shouldn't be there. But then there's the other stuff. The stuff that you can't look at Scripture and explicitly say that we need to get it out of there. But when we serve the Lord with sincerity of heart, when we really reverence the Lord and have God talk, all of a sudden we begin to go and say, you know what, I don't think that flies in this house anymore. I don't think it jives. Now you say, well, what, do you, what do you exactly are you speaking about? Well, there's lots of things. The things that we take in with our eyes and our ears and our mouths the things that we endure, or, go, or not endure, but the things that we do every day, that we just need to evaluate and say, Lord, is this all right? I really want to serve you with sincerity. Is my household one that serves you with sincerity? Or are there things here that just don't jive? And then on the other hand, you have to ask, what are things that make this a sincere household? Study of the word. Speech about the will of God. Prayer. Prayer conversations as to how to honor the Lord and decisions about those things that look like incongruities, things that don't jive. You know what, guys? We're not going to do this anymore, and I'm sorry that this has flown to this point, but I just feel like the Lord was telling us that this wasn't gonna, isn't right for us anymore, and we have to make this decision as a group to cut this out. I want to tell you, sincerity starts with the law, but it ends in the heart. Sincerity starts with the law. There's things that we absolutely know are of the Lord and aren't of the Lord. But then God does something in our hearts that makes certain things uh, right for us and certain things wrong for us. 
and we allow God to do that. I just encourage you folks, serve the Lord with sincerity. Allow the Lord to evaluate what flies in your household. Because what, if you do that, it's so much easier to just be some person that's right in your household and then be that same person when you leave your household. And then third, does my household serve the Lord faithfully? Third word there that he uses in verse 14 is faithful. Now, I want to tell you, this is the one that we have the most trouble with in our common era that we live in here. And because it's, it's because there's so many other things that are competing for our time that aren't the Lord. I think more than ever before. I looked at Gina the other day, and Gina and I just now got smartphones. Uh, we're, we're just sort of not those technology people. We're always living in the dark ages. I have an HD TV, but the HD hookups are like not even like HDMI. I don't even know what it is. It was like something from like 1999, you know? Uh, we don't care about a lot of technology. And I looked at her the other day, and I said, if I would have told you a year ago that we'd have two smartphones, two laptops, and a tablet sitting in the room right now, what would you have said? There's a lot of things competing for our time that are in our household. There's a lot of things competing for our time that are outside of our household. And it makes it a little bit tougher to serve the Lord faithfully. But I want to tell you, when you begin to serve the Lord faithfully, blessings come. Blessings come. Because God honors that faithfulness. And for those of you, especially the parents in the room, who are unfaithful to the things of the Lord, you're really placing a curse upon your children. Now, you say, take me to that, take me to that verse. I don't necessarily need to take you to that verse, but I'll sort of take you to that chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6. That when we don't serve the Lord with faithfulness, we're not setting the next generation up to serve him with faithfulness. And if your children see that other things can compete for your time, that the commitments that you've made to God can take the back seat, they will take the back seat in your children. Don't be unfaithful to the Lord. Make a priority list that your household abides by and say, you know what, we don't miss our obligations to the Lord. We don't miss the times that we get to spend with the Lord. That's non-negotiable. We're going to serve the Lord faithfully regardless of all the other things that can be pulling at us. We're going to serve the Lord faithfully. But there's another aspect of faithfulness beyond just showing up and doing the things that the Lord has told you to do. And the other aspect of faithfulness is to not say to yourself, well, you know what? My children are raised. I'm living with my wife or I'm single or whatever. I'm, I'm to the point in life where I'm on my own. And you know what? The only thing I really care about is making sure that I get to church and the church is a place that continues to minister to me. I've served the Lord faithfully for many, many years and I'm at that point now where I get to church and I just want it to be right. I want to hear a good message. I want to enjoy the worship. I want to, to get to that place where I just like what I'm hearing, like what I'm engaging in. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I'll die in 20 years. That's a lack of faithfulness on some of our parts. That we get to a certain point of our lives and we no longer do the things that we would have done when we were 40 or 20 or 15 for the Lord. We say, well, that's for a younger generation to do, or I've done that already. And I want to tell those of you who are struggling in that aspect of faithfulness today, can you not exhaust yourself in the cause of the Lord? 
We're exhausting ourselves in so many other things. But if you really want to get to some exhaustion in your life, wouldn't it be great to get to some exhaustion in the cause of the Lord? That faithfulness would not be about church enjoyment, but faithfulness would be about saying, regardless of what age I'm at and regardless of my prior experience in the church, I'm going to be someone who serves the Lord faithfully with whatever time I have left. Not I'm going to be someone who comes and enjoys the Lord with whatever time I have left. And that doesn't matter if you're 15 or 95. There's still work to do for the Lord. And he wants you to serve him in faithfulness. You're not done. Don't come here and enjoy. Come here and say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you. You say, I don't see a lot of places where I can serve in the church. Maybe, maybe my service is supposed to be to my children. Maybe my service is supposed to be to my grandchildren and, and continuing to be a great model of the Lord to them. Amen. That's wonderful. I encourage that. But I encourage each one of us today that regardless of where we stand, no matter what age we're at, let us not be people who our faithfulness to church is determined by how much we enjoy church. But I pray that we would be people that our faithfulness to church would flow out of a reverence and a sincerity to God and that we would look at the church as a place from which we get to be empowered for ministry. Not just some place to enjoy friends and fellowship and worship corporately. Faithfulness to the Lord is so much more. I want to encourage you today that I haven't taken the negative route. We could have talked about all the idols that could come into your life. I don't think we need to talk about the idols if we reverence the Lord and serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. The idols will take care of themselves. We need to be on the front end. We need to be people who are proactive, not reactive. And I pray today that the Lord will make us proactive servants of him. That we can truly say, with the Holy Spirit's help, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, you are faithful, you are a giver, and you have provided so much blessing to us. Lord, I pray that we would respond today in reverence and in sincerity. I pray that we would respond today with faithfulness to you. I pray that we would respond today by every aspect of our lives and our households would be given over to the one who gave us so much. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us today that these wouldn't just be words that we've heard, but that instead, Lord, you, by your Holy Spirit, would do the work in our hearts and in our lives to encourage us, Lord, that you are the one worth serving and the blessing flows from your hand when we're willing to serve you with all of our heart. Today you might be in this place and you say, Pastor Matt, I know exactly what the Lord has spoken to me. It wasn't your words. It was what the Lord has spoken to me during this time. And as the band plays for just a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray and commit those things to the Lord that he's spoken to you. And perhaps you're in a place today that that is so keenly felt. You know exactly what he's spoken and you know that you are so far off the path that he wants you to be on. Well, I encourage you today that the Holy Spirit is here 
He wants to work in your heart and he wants to work in your life. All you've got to do is invite him to do so. So in just a moment, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to invite you to pray and say, Lord, what would you have of me? What would you have of me? What would you have of me? Because I believe today, I believe it, that my household needs to be one that serves the Lord with reverence, sincerity, and faithfulness.